Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. Wow, I had a great conversation today with Marisha Metz. She and I talked all about language samples. What is a language sample? Why is it really important for us to know how is our student or our child using their language in a variety of everyday situations? This is such an important piece of not only assessment, but of our intervention as well, because we want to help each student increase their communication skills across their day not just in the therapy room. I always say what happens in the therapy room does not stay in the therapy room. We really want to help our students generalize their skills into the larger school and larger community environments as well. Marisha is a speech-language pathologist and she has worked as a school-based SLP and she shares her therapy ideas and resources on her blog called SLP Now. This is also a membership for SLPs that includes digital tools and resources to streamline evidence-based therapy. She also co-hosts a really amazing live PD event called SLP Summit, which I was really fortunate to be invited to be a speaker a couple years ago, right when I started ABA Speech. And it's just such a great way to connect with other therapists. We have a great conversation today about language samples, about functional language use, and let's get started on this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 28 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffith, and I'm here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have with us Marisha Metz. Thanks for joining us, Marisha. It's so nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to nerd out a little bit. Yes, and we go way back. You were kind enough to invite me to be a speaker for the SLP Summit many moons ago and help me get my email list started. Thank you for that because that was a whole thing. Um, and she's going to talk a little bit about that, I'm sure. But it's this really amazing live conference that happens twice a year. And I did a presentation for them many moons ago when I started ABA Speech. And I remember doing the call 
And there were like over 500 people on it, which back then was very, very exciting, which is always very exciting for me to have that many people listening in. So um, that's how we know each other. But can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into becoming an SLP? Sure. So I guess we'll go even more moons back. Um, <laughs> but I was, when I was an undergrad, I was ready to go down the social psychology PhD route. It's like, this is what I'm doing. I had some friends who were SLP students, um, but I had read a book where a kid had gotten speech therapy and it just didn't sound <laughs> very fun. Um, and so I kind of like resisted it, even though like my friends were doing some cool stuff. But then when I studied abroad, I got to meet with a speech therapist who um, she was doing accent reduction. And it was kind of funny timing because I w- had was a little bit frustrated with, because I was working through my honors thesis in social psychology. And I was a little frustrated with like the, I don't know a better word, but I guess like the foofiness of the concepts, because it's all like all of these big psychological things. And I loved how she could be so specific and it just felt so incredibly scientific on like how she could tell me how to like all the articulation things that we learn in grad school. But I think that just helped me like switch my mindset about speech therapy. And from that moment on, I like started looking into it and I was hooked. As soon as I got back from study abroad, um, I switched my major and completed all of the speech therapy coursework in a year so I could get into grad school and all of that. And then huge thank you to all of my undergrad friends at that point who got me through the program. But yeah, from that point on, I've been totally hooked on speech therapy. I thought I wanted to work with like in a medical setting. I went to a program that was focused specifically on working with adults, like neurogenics, all of that. Um, but I had a pediatric placement and I just totally fell in love with it. And so I guess it's just been like a narrowing down of that focus. And so I ended up working in the schools and I loved it. And then I guess the second part of my journey is like, I was loving my job in the schools. It was, I was on cloud nine. I loved it so much. But then in my second year, my caseload doubled and there were a lot of changes in the district and I was really struggling to keep up with the workload. And so that's when I started trying to like, while digging into the research and finding ways to work smarter as an SLP. Um, And I ended up creating like my own little curriculum and everything and shared it with SLPs in my district. And then like now five, six years later, I have a whole company called SLP Now. And it's all really by accident. I never set out to start anything, but it just went. It just happened organically, I guess. Oh, that's so fascinating. So when you were creating your own materials, did you did you start creating them and then you were using them with your own caseload like at the time and you did that for like a little while before you decided to try to focus on SLP Now exclusively? Yeah. And even in my CS, I was... I mean, it's overwhelming when you're new to the field and you're trying to figure out all of these things. And so and my ex at the... Well, my partner at the time was in the military, so he was always gone. And yeah, so I just filled my time with professional development courses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just like, I don't know, it gave me like a semblance of control. Like mm-hmm. I have this evidence-based strategy that I can try. And so 
But a lot of times the res- or the courses are very theoretical and you do have to do quite a bit of work to translate that. So I'd like watch a course and then like make something that I could use. So I did that. I iterated on that process over time. And then I learned about literacy-based therapy and I was like, Oh, and so then I just started like putting these things together. But in my second year, when I had like no time for Mm -hmm. anything, I was just like spinning my wheels, just trying to keep up. That's when I really tried to build like a little bit of a curriculum for myself and my students so that because it happened a few too many times where they'd walk in and I'd be like, okay, what are we going to do today? Mm -hmm. Um, And I still strongly believe that we are our best therapy tools and we have the knowledge that we need to provide really awesome therapy. But having a plan goes a long way. And I think we can really step things up if we're a little more strategic. So yeah, that's kind of what led me to build that. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Because I think while it's great to have a plan, I think it helps even though the session may not go as planned. I was just doing another training before this talking with some autism moms about, you know, not getting discouraged if your child doesn't play with an item the way you think they should, or if they don't engage with a book the way you think they should, or how you had planned it, that there's still a lot of good that comes out of that. But I do think it makes speech therapists at least feel better to have the plan, which is what, you know, a lot of the resources now, because before that, people really just didn't have access to that unless you were making something with Boardmaker or do something on your own. That's actually why I didn't even know that TPT was a thing, Teachers Pay Teachers, because... I just had always made my own stuff. So I was like very clueless that anybody else was doing all these things online until a couple of years ago because I have three kids of my own and I was a school-based therapist and you know how busy it is. You're just like, you know, survival mode sometimes. But it's great that there's a lot of options now. That's very, very cool. I love that. It's fun to hear everybody's kind of journey and that you just really started SLP. Now it sounds like a need because in your current position, that was something that you needed for your caseload. And it's really cool that you shared that with the other speech therapists and were able to get that like feedback right from them and how it was going with their caseloads. That's very cool. Love that. So I had Marisha come on today because we are going to talk all about language samples. Um, and I think it's such a, a underutilized tool in our field. And I know that I think when I went to ASHA the last time, when it was in person, I went to a talk about language samples because I feel like it's one of those things that we learn about. And then sometimes it's hard. Just like you said, you go to a talk, you hear about something, but to actually translate it to your practice is really, really hard. And that's something I tried to do. I know you took Help Me Find My Voice, my autism course. That's what I try to do in those courses where we talk about things that are evidence-based, but we talk about actionable tips and strategies. And then I'm there to help coach you implementing those things. Um, That's where can get really hard where we hear about something, we know that it's important, but then we're like, well, how does that really translate into me seeing my kids now? So can you tell us a little bit about like, what is a language sample if somebody's listening and maybe it's a term they need to brush up on? Yeah. So a language sample is a lot what it sounds like. And there's a lot of different types. So we can collect a language sample, like a play-based language sample where you're sitting with a kiddo and you have different toys and you're just jotting down what they say in the context of play. Or with an older student, you might have a conversation and then document their utterances or what they say in the conversation. Another type is a story retell where I tell a story and then I prompt the student to tell that back to me. I document what they say and then use that information, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
we can also do, we can ask students to generate their own stories. So that's another type of language sample. Um, And then we can also have, like there's, as we get more complex, we can have like expository language samples where a student tells us how to do something or a persuasive language sample where a student persuades us or tries to convince us of their point of view. So all of those elicit different levels of language, um, but they can be incredibly helpful at giving us some insight into how the student is actually using language in a functional manner um, because we can give them all of the vocabulary tests in the world and have us have them point to pictures, but we want to know, like it gives us a really good snapshot, like I said, of how they're using their language in a very functional way. Yeah, I love that because I was just, I just started seeing a new client who's younger and who has autism and the parent was feeling kind of discouraged and saying like, well, I just, you know, the student, you know, my child was saying a lot of different things. And so they really didn't, know that the child was autistic. They weren't really very worried because the child did say a lot of words, but the child wasn't saying words to other people and they weren't using them, I guess, in what we would say as a speech therapist in like a real functional manner that yes, they could say a lot of words. Yes, they were talking, but they weren't socially interacting. And so that can be really confusing for parents. And I think this language sample is a good way to do that. And you know, this is something that I do like very incidentally. That's why I'm excited to have you on to talk about like really kind of what the gold standard is for language sample. But I do this with my data sheets when I see some of my home-based clients for ABA speech, my private practices, I just have like a little section and I just put at the top like natural conversation. So if I'm working with an autistic student or a student who's working on their speech sounds, I will write down different things that the student is saying on their own. And so it's it can be for different reasons. For the kid who is working on their speech sounds, I like to see, is he generalizing what we're working on into natural conversation? You know, things like that. And then with my autistic students, I might be like, oh, well, are they labeling in the natural environment? Are they using some of the words to request? Are they using play-based, you know, scripts and things like that? So we can get a lot of good information. So if you're listening, you're like, oh, language samples, I haven't done that in a long time, that you might be kind of doing it, right? Without knowing that you're doing it are calling it that. So I'm excited to kind of dig into this. Um, So those would be some of the reasons. Like, So why would we collect a language sample? Just to give us a good idea of how the kid is, is using their language functionally in some of those different ways you had mentioned. Yeah, it's a great... Because like, sometimes some of our students, like we will give them a formal assessment and we know it's not a good representation or that maybe it is a decent representation, but it doesn't a lot of times the assessments give us a really good idea of the student's needs. And a language sample is a really great way to look at their strengths. Like, what are they doing? How are they using language? Um, and so it helps us just to write a well-rounded report and get a well-rounded picture of the child. And I think it's interesting too. So I had this happen once where I gave the student like one of the big standardized assessments and or formal assessments, and they bombed some of the grammar sections. And so I was like, oh, I should write a goal for... And I just was using the test to write goals, which I know we shouldn't do. But luckily, my district at the time required language samples. So I collected a couple different samples. And then I was looking at it and I was like, oh, I'm going to see those errors with irregular plural nouns and irregular past tense. But the student was producing like perfect grammar in their language samples. 
Um, and it could be the other way around where the student is able to perform really well on that structured task, but they're not using the grammar in conversation. And what we really care about is how the student is actually using language to communicate. And so I, I just like that example to illustrate like, yes, we can pull from the formal assessment, but it's good to like take that language sample and just to look and see how that assessment is actually showing up and giving us like I said, a better picture of what's happening with the student. And so that's a little bit of my why. But then it's also just really helpful like in being able to know what we can work on and really giving those functional goals. And especially for students with autism, like we, the formal assessments might not give us a great picture. And I know that uh, one of my biggest reasons to not do language samples was because it took a lot of time. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that. <laughs> yes, Relate- um, relatable. And so, and I, in my first year, I was still like figuring out all of the logistics in terms of managing the paperwork. But like a couple of times I was getting ready to go to the IEP meeting. I was like, oh no, I didn't get my language sample. So it was something that I definitely struggled with initially. And I like, I figured out a way, like I made a checklist so that I'd remember to get the language sample throughout the process. And I also made it a little bit easier for myself um, to collect that sample. So we can maybe talk about that a little bit later, but it is totally doable. It doesn't have to be a super overwhelming process, but there are ways to make that easier. I do love that because there are oftentimes kids with autism that I've seen who maybe get a quote unquote standardized pragmatics test or, you know, to look at their social skills. And while they may do completely fine on that test, when you see them using those skills in the natural environment or the larger school environment is how I usually put it on my IEPs. You know, they're really having a hard time. They might be struggling with finding peers to sit with at the lunch table where maybe they want to sit with other friends and that's hard for them. They may have a hard time entering different center times if they're in preschool and they may want to play with other kids. I'm like, I was just seeing one of my private clients and the mom was saying, you know, my child really wants, runs up to kids on the playground and wants to be close to them, but doesn't know what to do next. Or, you know, if they're playing ball they'll just take the ball. And so just some of those little tweaks, and we may not see that a student oftentimes with autism may do okay on a standardized test and may have a score that's within average limits. But then once you do that, and I always, as a school-based therapist, try to frame it as that observation slash what we're talking about today, language sample. I always try to go into the natural environment. So that might mean lunch or gym class or sometime like that, where there's a lot of unstructured downtime, where you're going to get to see how the student's really using their language. And so I think this would be a really nice time too. And that's definitely something that I always include on my IEPs, you know, under the profile section, or if we're doing testing underneath the testing section, because we know a standardized test is not going to give us that holistic picture of the child. So I think this is a really, really good idea. So if we're wanting to incorporate this into our process, our evaluation process, our therapeutic process, 
what are some tips that you have for us for making this like a little bit easier? Yeah. And is it okay if we back up yeah, just a little bit? Um, so one thing that I think is really key, especially when we're thinking about students with autism, I love how you said like collecting those samples in the lunchroom, on the playground, because that'll give us a lot of information about how they're interacting socially. Um, and it reminded me of an article I read. It was King et al. 2018. And there's just some really interesting things that we can find in, and this was focusing on narratives. So that would be like a story generation or story retell. But when compared to like their typically developing peers, they found that students with high functioning autism had some pretty significant differences in their narratives. So they're like shorter, less grammatically complex, less vocabulary, less reasoning, like fewer references to emotions, less conflict resolution, and like less character development. And so I just read off some of the things on that list. But if we have like that specific lens and like that hypothesis that we're trying to test with our assessment, like we can use those assessments really strategically. But to answer your question in terms of like, how do we actually do this? So I like, I really like just, I mean, we can be strategic with the sample that we're collecting. So I'll start with just like a simple story retell generation because I feel like that is one of the most common ones. So one tip that I have, Dr. Crowley from Leaders Project, it's leadersproject.org. She has these beautiful cards. They're called the School Age Language Assessment Measures or the SLAM cards. They're totally free to access. And so I, when I learned about these, I went and printed them printed them out, laminated them, and just had them close to my therapy table. So whenever I needed to collect a language sample, I had some really great, like if it required visuals, I had visuals that I could easily pull. And it's nice because she has them like divided by age and she gives you some good ideas. And it's a nice way because if we have some good visuals that we can consistently use, it's a nice way to measure progress. So maybe at the IEP, I give this and then Maybe it's once a year, maybe it's every six months, but it can be a really nice way to see the student's progress with a consistent kind of structure or language sample. And so that's one resource that I think is super helpful. You don't have to use the slam cards if you have other cards. I'm sure a lot of the your, the cards that you created, Rose, could be really <laughs> nice for that yeah, too. <laughs> here we go. Action builder. Um, Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different like just having something that we can use if we need a visual support is really helpful. But like we talked about, we don't have to have visuals or stimulus items or anything like that. We can just use the natural context as well, whether it's play-based or on the playground or having a conversation with an adult or with a peer, like there's lots of options there. But in terms of the actual language sample collection, if I'm in my therapy room, I really like to be able to, because I can type faster than I can write. And so if it doesn't work with every student, but a lot of times we can have, like they can talk and they'll tolerate me, like it doesn't distract them. So if that's the case, I just collect the language sample in real time. And I might use like my school iPad or my school computer or whatever to record the sample just in case I need to go back. But I just try, I don't focus on making sure it's like the super most accurate representation ever. I just try and collect what I can. And I, so I don't have to spend five hours transcribing everything perfectly. 
I've heard of other SLPs recording it and having, and I would, I don't know, I would have to look into the, the rules behind this and like the different policies, but I've heard of having like volunteers um, transcribe the language samples as well. So that could be an option to make things a little bit easier. And then I ended up creating a little spreadsheet, a Google sheet that I use to type my samples into. And it's cool because the spread, like it, spreadsheets can be super duper smart. And so the spreadsheet that I made, um, automatically counts the words in each line. So I would just type one utterance on each line and just type, hit enter, type, hit enter. Um, and then the spreadsheet automatically calculates how many words are in each line. Um, and so that's like an easy, quick calculation. Um, a lot of times the norms are like, they actually use like the morphemes. So like if I were to say, I like dogs, that would be three words, but it's actually four morphemes because the S after dogs is a separate one. And so as long as you're being consistent, I think whatever works. But the spreadsheet, if you just add in a space between each morpheme, it'll calculate it that way too. And then it also calculates like the total words in the utterance. And um, it has like a little hack to calculate the total words. And it gives you, it spits out about like six different metrics that you can then you can just print off the sheet and attach that to the IEP or report the numbers. Um, And I think it's just really nice. Like I always wanted those types of numbers just Mm -hmm. to have it be like a little bit more of a solid report instead of... And I think describing what we hear is super helpful. Um, But having those metrics, especially if we're doing this like at every IEP, it can be a really interesting way to measure progress. Um, And so that spreadsheet helps me try all of those boxes and makes that process really easy. Oh, that's interesting. Do you, are you going to share that link or is that something that you have available on your website? Or you're sharing that link with us? Yep. It's just okay. a, a quick link. And I, so it's just, a, it just includes a place to enter your email. And then I email the, a quick little tutorial video and then a link to the spreadsheet. And then you can just, every time you click that, it'll create a new spreadsheet. So you can oh, use yeah. that with your students. Well, that's really interesting. I love that because it gives you more of those numbers that you would have as a baseline. So you can see how is the student doing now? And then if you update that, you know, with every IEP, that would probably give you really, really good information. Um, and I love that. I've never heard of the slam cards. I'll have to look into those. And yes, the action builder cards, I love using those for a variety of different things. So we'll link those up too um, in the show notes. That's really great information. So so you have this great language sample. Um, and then what are some ways that we can then use that information? I'm all about data. And I think the biggest part of data is analyzing, right? So we can analyze it to help us make better intervention decisions. So what are some of the suggestions you have that once we have this really kind of robust language sample, then how can we use that in our intervention to help our students? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways that we could use it. And of course, it depends on the student and the reason behind the language sample. But I think just on a surface level, it can be helpful to measure progress over time in a really functional context. And you can administer a language sample as many times as you want and just kind of track that progress over time. Um, It can also be really interesting to collect different types of language samples. It's like, so incredibly fascinating how the numbers can look so different 
um, in a conversation versus a story retell versus like an expository how-to language. It's super interesting, but that can give us an idea for how the student is performing in different contexts. Um, and then it's really nice too, because with the language sample, we can observe, like there's so many things that we can notice about how the student is using their language in terms of like the vocabulary or the grammar or syntax, but then also in terms of like the social aspect and just having like descriptions on how, if they're like turned away from the person that they're talking to or whatever it may be, it just can give us some really helpful observations and it can guide like specific things that we might write goals for, for example. Yeah, I was thinking of that when we were getting ready to talk today. I was thinking of a student that I used to work with who wanted to engage with other students, but had trouble with the conversational piece. And so what I would do is, this is when I was at the non-public program, I would uh, pull in a peer whose language was actually pretty typical developing. And I would watch him interact with the the game or the toy or whatever we were using. And I would take a language sample. <laughs> I guess that's what I was doing. Uh, I would narratively write down, you know, what the student was saying and things like that. And then that language is then what I would use when I was modeling for the student who had trouble with some of those types of social skills. Um, I think that's the thing too, is like, We never want to teach our students, especially autistic students, something that isn't really going to benefit them, something that's not functional, you know, like my turn, your turn, that like comes, that like is a goal that bothers me. I know a lot of people tend to work on that. But if you really watch kids interacting with toys, they don't really say that. They say all kinds of other things, which sometimes are harder for us to teach, right? But I like this idea of getting back to the basics of this is really good information to capture because then we can really help drive our instruction in a really evidence-based way. So I think those are really good ideas. Yeah, for like goal setting. So the language sample can help you set goals for all different types of areas, right? Yeah, and I love that example too. Yeah, so I think that's that's really, really cool. Very cool. I love all this information about language samples and really great ideas about how we can um, use them, whether you're working in a clinic or whether you're a school-based therapist, you know, you may be taking a language sample without really even calling it that. So we need to give ourselves some more credit, (laughs) right? That we're including some of these evidence-based things. I love all that information. Um, So I think we're kind of... Anything else you want to share about language samples before I ask our final podcast question that I ask most of our guests? I think we're good. Okay, awesome. So I kind of always like to end with this final question. Um, Everybody answers it differently and it's always good information. Um, What is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about speech therapy or communication in general? Ooh, that is a good one. I like it. (laughs) I don't know. I think this one is top of mind because I've been talking to a lot of parents who have who are concerned about their younger children and just trying like, oh, are they like meeting the um, milestones? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? And I think like we, I really like applaud that concern and applaud them looking for resources and help. But I think we can sometimes go like, like we can bulldoze a little bit too quickly through all of that and just like 
really accepting our students where they're at and really embracing how they're communicating and just helping them make the most of that. And then obviously still continue to grow on that, but just really embracing where we are at the moment, I think is the, what's sticking out to me just based on the conversations I had this week. Yeah, I love that. Very good. Great. So where can people find out more about you and your work? So slpnow.com is our main hub and we're on Facebook and Instagram at SLP now as well. Awesome. Very cool. Make sure to check the show notes. We'll link up the the Google that you were talking about. We'll link up the action builder cards as a way also to um, that might be helpful for you when you're creating your language sample. There's a lot of different ways to get them. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.